0: If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 143. Pretty much open your Bible right down the middle. You're in the book of Psalms and we're looking for the big number, 143. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. In the pew in front of you, uh, there will be a Bible that you're more welcome to use throughout the service. And you're more welcome to take that Bible home. Psalm 143. I believe in every person's life, there becomes a defining moment. That defining moment is when you realize that you just may not control the world that you live in. For me, that defining moment happened in ninth grade, the summer of my ninth grade year. Before that summer, I was really a kid that was full of anger and brokenness. Because of the situation that was happening in my family. See, at a young age, I looked at my dad as this superhero. Right? We ate bacon and watched wrestling on TV like every Tuesday. And he was my superhero. One day, my mom came and picked me up from my grandma's house. Nothing abnormal. And started heading home. And on the way home, uh, we went right past the road that we would turn to get to the house. And I was like, Mom, what's, where are we going? Yeah. And what came out of her mouth would radically change the rest of my life. And she said, your dad and I are splitting. We're not going to be living with dad anymore. As I got older, the truth of the divorce began to unravel. And I began to see that my dad began to take paychecks and to spend his money on drugs and alcohol. And as a kid, I had convinced myself that that is what my dad would rather have had than to have me. And as I began to get older, really heightened in middle school, all of those emotions, I began to become cold and callous. I began to become cold to other people. Uh, callous towards Relationships. Like, I did not want anyone to get close to me. See, like in middle school, I, I was like the kid to have like the outside perfect. I made good grades. I tried to dress nice. I did the sports. Like I checked every box you could in middle school to try to convince myself and to convince others that I was A-okay. okay See, I never really got physically angry, uh, but really it was the built up of that emotional anger. But then came my ninth grade summer. And I had no idea that would become one of the most joyful moments of my life. My ninth grade summer, I went to a church camp. And during that week, what happened is that this cold and calloused kid began to experience the love warmth of God. He opened my eyes to the sun. He allowed me to see the goodness of Jesus and how Jesus died for me and how Jesus uh, died for my sins, and he saved me. Joy came upon my life. I, I began, piece by piece, slowly becoming renewed. When camp ended and I had to go back home into the real world, Um, what I soon quickly realized is that all those emotions and angers and, and, and the situation with my dad, it was still there. But something was different. I knew that the love of the Father was with me. I knew that he was with me to hold me, to comfort me, and to give me hope. I began to become a new creation day by day. If we all take a moment and think back on our lives, I believe we all have those defining moments. Moments where we realize that we literally cannot control the world that we live in. And when we can't control those situations, what typically happens is that there will be seasons of our life, whether if it's one week or ten years, that it's just constant sorrow. It's constantly in distress. So, the question I have for you this morning is how do you endure? How do you endure when you are in those defining moments of difficult seasons in your life? What we'll see in our psalm this morning is that the psalmist David is in a desperate, sorrowful situation. He'll actually show us that the way that we can endure in those seasons is actually push in to the Lord. To push in to our Heavenly Father instead of pull back like how I did. And cut relationships off and do my own thing. So the main point that we'll see this morning is this. To endure in times of sorrow is to reflect on God's love and faithfulness. On God's love and faithfulness. So this morning church, we need to hear from the Lord. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we read Psalm 143 together. So will you stand as we respect in reverence of God's word. Psalm 143. Starting in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one is living, is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated. So this summer, we've been going through the Psalms and it's really been a an extension of us looking for joy. And the reason why the Psalms is such a great place for us to find joy in the Lord is because as we read the Psalms and realize we just read this psalm, there's a lot of just raw emotion. Right? These Psalms are just being honest with where they're at. And these Psalms are pointing us to the Lord. So this is joyful for us because we can actually see and learn like, okay, maybe we can have joy in hard seasons of life. And really that's been a common theme over these past few Psalms, right? We've really seen this idea of like, Lord, my life is awful. The world has fallen in, but God, you're better. God, you're greater. God, you're my comforter, right? Like Psalm after Psalm over this month, we've seen that truth. And we're going to continue to see that truth with David in Psalm 143. So let's go ahead and and hop right in, in our first point. Enduring in times of sorrow presses us, and here it is, to be honest about our sin and the sin of others. To be honest about our sin and the sin of others. Now when I look back on my life when I was like in middle school and early part of high school uh there's two sides that I had to come to the realization with begin this journey of just kind of being renewed in the Lord and for me when I was angry and just broken in this situation it was so easy for me to look at my dad and just point all the blame on him like you're awful you did this to me like all the blame and I didn't want to own anything So as we think about our times of sorrow, there's two realities that we have to be honest about. Sometimes we're in difficult seasons simply because of the sins of others. Someone will sin against you and then sorrow comes. That could be with relationships. It could be at your job. Like somebody sinned against God and them sinning against God calls sorrow for you. I think we've all been there. But then on the flip side of the coin, and we have to really be honest about this one. This is the more challenging one. Is that we have to be honest about our own sin. Jesus tells us in the gospel that when you have anger in your heart, it's murder. And me, I had to own the reality. This anger I had within me, I had this murderous heart. This anger towards other people that made no sense or no justification. Like I just had like a murderous heart. And I had to come to realization that that was my sin. And that was my sin that was causing some of the sorrow as well. So sometimes we go through seasons of sorrow simply because of our own sin. There's two sides of the coin. We, we can't miss them. And David will actually kind of follow that pattern for us this morning. Because look at verse 1 with me verse 1 he says hear my prayer O lord give ear to my pleas for mercy in your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness so right here david's doing something really great for us he's actually laying a foundation for the rest of the psalm of how we should approach god in these seasons of sorrow Notice in David's prayer, he's like, hear my prayer. So in his prayer, the first thing he's starting off with is that he needs three things from the Lord. He needs God's mercy. He needs God's faithfulness. And he needs God's righteousness. Mercy is just another word for compassion. Faithfulness means God to be true to who he is. And righteousness means just for God to do what is right. And the reason why this is an important foundation for us as we think about enduring in times of sorrow is because what David is doing, he is lowering himself and elevating God. He realizes at the start of his prayer, like, I have nothing, God. But what I need is your mercy. What I need is your faithfulness. What I need is your righteousness. I need you to do what's right, right? So there's this posture of humility that David has. So as we begin to think and process of like, all right, Lord, how how can I fight and endure in difficult seasons? The first we have to think, are we humbling ourselves before the Lord? Because that posture will set the rest of the psalm up for us. So kind of going back to owning sin and difficult seasons, we really see that begin to play out in verse 2. And the reason why David's really humbling himself before the Lord. Verse 2 says, Enter not to judgment with your servant, for no one is living, is righteous before you. So right here in verse 2, David is wrestling with some kind of sin, we don't know exactly what it is, but all we know, he's like, Lord, don't judge me. Do not enter into judgment with your servant. Like there was a situation out here that David was messing around with. He realized that something, he, he wasn't faithful. He did something wrong. And now he's on the back end like, all right, Lord, enter not in judgment with me. There's something in David's heart that he's owning to the Lord. But what I want us to do is actually hone in a little bit deeper on what he does at the second half of verse 2, where he says, For no one living is righteous before you. Now, that statement right there alone has massive implications for us. It is completely counterculture, right? Because typically, when when difficult things happen, right, culture tells us, Go fix it. When something breaks, go fix it. Or go get something new go do something right that is for you right you you hear that language over and over but right here what david is laying right on the table for us is that no one is living is righteous before you again righteous means to do what is right so the only one that is able to do what is right is god So time and time again, when we try to do things and fix our own issues, it's wrong. Because there's only one thing that's living that is always righteous, and that is God. And David is owning that. He recognizes that. So church, what we need is not our works or the works of others in times of sorrow. But we need the work of God. We need the work of God to be the one who brings us out of those trying and difficult situations. Really, a great verse that paints this picture, this, this wrestle that we see, is Philippians 3.9. Philippians 3.9 says this, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul's saying, There's no righteousness in me on my own, but that which comes through faith in christ the righteousness from god that depends on faith the only thing that we could ever do or receive what is right is what comes through faith in christ so that is our great hope is that it's not about our work but the work of christ of what he has already done for us we will be made righteous because christ is righteous when we put our faith in him So when we understand and become real with ourselves that we cannot do what is right, we are fallen and sinful people, the more that we will let go of that desire to control and the more that we will trust the sovereign hands of God of what he did for us through Jesus Christ. But then again, we see on the flip side, David's wrestle. Right? David is realizing, like, all right, Lord, I messed up. Don't judge me. You're the only one who's righteous. Clearly, I'm not righteous, God. I've done all this. But he also wants to recognize the outside. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 says, Where the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. So clearly, all right, not only is David wrestling on with some internal issues there, but there's also this great enemy that has rose up against David. We get a sense in verse 3 that David is just at the end of his rope, right? That, that David has nowhere else to go. He's just stuck and spinning in circles. And I, I think like we all have those kind of moments. That we feel like we are just dead. That the world is continuing on moving and spinning without us. Well, one thing, you, you're not alone in that because David feels that. But also, there's I'm sure every single one of us in this room... Has had a season where we have felt as if we were long dead. Someone that's long dead has been removed from the world. Maybe even forgotten about. So really just to boil down David's emotions, he just felt like he didn't even exist. But I want us to tie two things together here and this is, this is really challenging and it's been challenging for me. Could it just be, could it just be that the reason why that there has been a enemy that has begun to pursue the soul of David was because of his own sin? Could it be that the Lord is trying to wake David up to bring him back and to turn him back to the Lord. Because sometimes, just sometimes in our life, there are like we're just going full speed ahead, we're, we're leaving God behind, and then all of a sudden, just bad things happen. Awful things happen. We we make mistakes and then we're paying the consequence for that mistake. Could it just be in God's great love for us that when there is sin issues in our heart, that He will bring things to our lives to say, Come back, come back to me? Because isn't that what David's doing here? He's been trying to figure it out on his own. And now he's at the point where he's running fully back to the Lord. It's like this analogy like we're at the edge of a cliff. And every time we we wrestle with the temptation with sin and we decide to go in for the sin, we're just jumping off a cliff. And that's painful and that's exhausting. Just time and time and time again, we're sinning against God and we're just jumping off a cliff and like breaking our bones, breaking our back, emotionally breaking us apart. And then when God one day puts a roadblock in front of you, you say, hey, let's not jump off of this. Come back to me. Come back to me. What a a great love of the Lord. So could it just be that at times we're in seasons of sorrow because of our own sin, and all we need to do is to go back to the Lord and confess those sins to him. Look at verse four with me. Just just listen to to the weakness of David here. Verse 4. It says, Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Like, do you see David recognizing and expressing his own feebleness? That his heart and spirit is just weak and shattered and broken, right? The Lord has turned him back around. Right, Because of these enemies. And now David is owning his own brokenness and feebleness. And right here, David is at a crossroad. And I think so many of us get to a similar crossroad that David is right now. Either David right now can continue to try to fight the enemies by himself... With bigger armies or with better wine or better like France. Like whatever it is David wants to try to fight this enemy with. Or David can turn the other way and push into the Lord. And that's that defining moment I was talking about. There's all these crossroad decision moments in our life where we're going to have to decide, are we going to push in to the world and to the culture to try to find relief? Or are we actually going to push in to the Lord to endure in our times of sorrow? The joy for us this morning is that David, at this crossroad moment of his life, decides to push in to the Lord. And he actually shows us how we can endure in times of sorrow. Let's look at our second point together. Point two. Enduring in times of sorrow presses us to thirst after God. Presses us to thirst after God. And I think we all just really these past few weeks experience what true thirst is, right? With all these hot days. uh, It's hard to beat a nice cold glass of water right now. Just, just that refreshment and that nourishment that cold glass of water brings on that hot, sweaty day. Uh, it's just like we physically get thirsty, we spiritually get thirsty. And we need to find ways to spiritually refresh and nourish our souls. And David's actually gonna show us two ways how we can refresh our souls even if we're in times of desperation and sorrow. The first way that we can refresh our souls is in verse five. Verse five. I just love this. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. So, what David is doing here to, to refresh his soul is that he's simply just remembering God's faithfulness. He is remembered and he's slowing down to think about those days of old, from way back when, how God has been faithful to David. And when I begin to like timeline my life, there are clearly moments in my life where I were just on the mountain. Just very joyful seasons of my life. But in between those mountains, there were clear valleys. Just difficult seasons in my life. And the cool thing and what David is showing us is that when we are in those valleys, time and time again, we can remember how God was faithful to us before. In thinking of this idea, can God be faithful in the valley? Uh, I think of the prophet Ezekiel. We don't really talk about Ezekiel much. It's a prophet from the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 37, he takes his God takes his prophet to this valley. And in this valley, all, all around Ezekiel is all these dry bones, just dust to the ground. God asks his prophet Ezekiel, can these bones live? Just these dry bones. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over these bones and say this, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And when Ezekiel prophesied that, what began to happen in a valley, a rattling began to happen. And all these dead and dry bones begin to come together with life. So the question, can God be faithful in the valley? Can God bring death to life? He brought bones alive. He can bring us alive, church. He is faithful in the valley. Don't let Satan convince you that he is not. Time and time and time again, God has been faithful to you and to me, and he will be faithful to you now. If you feel dead this morning, if you feel like there's nothing, like you feel like those dead, dry bones just in a valley, hear the word of the Lord, that he is with you and that he loves you. And the great hope that we have in all of this. And the reason why we get to have life is because of his son giving up his life. We get to have life in the valley because Christ died for you and for me. So when you are in those seasons of desperation, when you're in the seasons of sorrow, I want to encourage, as as David has shown us, just remember how God has been faithful to you. And he's not just going to stop being faithful. It it is outside of God's character to not be faithful. So rest in that hope. The second way that David thirsts after the Lord, we see in verse 6. He does it through prayer. Verse 6 says this, I stretch out my hands to you. This is his posture of prayer. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And David's kind of using that thirsty analogy again. His soul is a dry land. I don't know if you've ever seen a drought before, but when you see a drought, it looks as if the earth is literally breaking apart. There's a bunch of cracks, right? There's no water or nourishment holding the earth Together, And that's kind of like that language that David is showing us is that his soul is like this drought. It's a parched land and it's just cracking. It's just breaking apart. And what David does to bring nourishment to his soul is he goes through the Lord in prayer. He actually tells us specifically what he prays for in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. So really what David is doing here in his prayer, he's showing us honestly how we should wake up every morning. If it's it's difficult for you to get out of bed, listen to the word of the Lord here. Let me hear in the morning. So when David wakes up in the morning, he's praying for, look, God's steadfast love. And he's praying for, make me know the way I should go. He's praying for God's wisdom. Every morning. In the morning, David is praying for God's love. Why is David praying for God's love? Well, God's love is the anchor for our soul. And the way that we can experience God's steadfast love is to open up His Word. Just a couple of verses: Romans five eight. But God shows His love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians three thirteen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanging on." A tree, church. God's word is saturated with the steadfast love of God that can hold you and keep you. When the choppy waters of life happens, God's loving anchor is holding you. When the winds of life is blowing you to and fro, God's steadfast love is holding you. He is not going to let go. He also prays for wisdom. As we see in the second part of verse 8, make me know the way I should go. If we jump back up to verses 1 and 2, we see that reality that David thought he knew the way to go. And now he's realizing he's coming back on the end and saying, All right, God, clearly I didn't know the way to go, but Lord, you do. You know the way I should go. Help me and make me know each path. To go, So church, the question I have for you, do you wake up in the morning to pray for God's love and for his wisdom for your day? Do you pray, God help me to see your love today. God help lead me in the direction that you want me to go today. That may mean that we should go to bed earlier so that we can wake up earlier. Whatever that may look like for you There's a great joy for us to start off our day recognizing the love and the faithfulness of God. And just notice in this prayer, David's posture in verse seven. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Like in the morning, like like David, there's this earnest to his prayer there's this fervor David's praying fervently like Lord answer me there's there's this pleading on to the Lord he's like all right Lord just you know in you know no it's like answer me Lord quickly <laughs> like I need you and I need you back my spirit is failing right so are you praying in the morning are you praying with fervor are you believing the prayers you pray Do you believe God's actually going to answer them? These are all ways that we can endure in times of sorrow and to refresh our soul. Remember God's faithfulness of the old days and go to him in prayer. And our last point this morning is point three. Enduring in times of sorrow presses us to plea for deliverance. Plea for deliverance. This is actually another area of prayer that David is pushing into that will be really helpful for us just to focus in on. In verse nine, David says, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. And I just love how simple David makes this for us. He's like, deliver me. Deliver me from my enemies, Lord. There's nothing complicated about David's words here at all. It's just a simple Plea to the Lord to deliver me. And because of this deliverance, he's like, Lord, I trust you, so I'm going to you for my rest. I'm going to you for my refuge. Knowing that the Lord is going to to hold David and to deliver David, that is giving him the confidence to just trust the Lord this morning. Or in a psalm. And that gives us confidence to trust the Lord this morning. And David, what he will see in, in this pleading for the deliverance, he kind of asks for an odd request. Like he, he doesn't just say, Lord, deliver me. Look at verse 10. He says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me. On level ground. So here in verse 10. And when we think about praying to the Lord for deliverance. There, there's this great temptation just to pray, Lord deliver me. And I think that's very important, right? That, that, that's, David literally said that, deliver me. But notice that David didn't just stop, deliver me from my enemies. But notice how he asked for the Lord to help him be obedient. Teach me to do your will. Help me obey you god so there's this reality like david is in this difficult season of life he's asking the lord to deliver him but in the mix of it all now he's saying lord just help me obey you so there's there's two realities when we are like just begging and pleading and uh, for deliverance when we're in times of sorrow The first reality is that what David is showing us here is that there is this active pursuing of the Lord. When we're in times of sorrow, we must actively pursue the Lord. David does that through prayer. He does that by remembering the days of old, right? He, He is actively pursuing the Lord. David's not just sitting there with his arms crossed and his Just like, all right, Lord, let your spirit work and, you know, everything's going to be okay. There is truth to that, and we'll see that here in a second. But there is this active nature that David is showing us. So when you are in difficult seasons, are you actively pursuing the Lord? So although there is this active nature that we must pursue the Lord, there's also, in what David will show us, there's this reality that we just have to passively sit and just trust God. Uh, look at verses 11 and 12. It says, For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you'll destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. So, so David's not missing the reality that he must actively pursue the Lord, but also he's to the reality of like, Also, the Lord's just going to have to do his work. And I can't force the hand of God. If we look back over verses 11 through 12, like we see like God preserve my life, bring my soul out of trouble, cut off my enemies, destroy the adversaries of my soul, right? These are all works that the Lord must do. And sometimes in our life, it is harder just to passively sit and just trust in God's faithfulness. But there just may be times that we do, that we just have to trust who God says he is and just give up control over these situations. And I just love how David ends this entire Psalm. Right there at the very end, verse 12. For I am your servant. This isn't David's way of boasting or elevating himself. This isn't David's way of showing God his accolades. This is simply God or David reminding God and reminding himself, I'm yours, God. I'm your servant. You're my master. As my master, you will protect me as your servant. Just love that. That David just trusts in the Lord. So what? Like, why, why is all this mattering to us? How can all this help us today? Kind of going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, that the reason why you and I can endure seasons of sorrow is not about what the works that we can do, but it's about the one who's already done the work. We have to remember the work of Christ to endure in these difficult seasons. The more that we know and trust that Christ took on the greatest enemy, the greatest suffering, endured the greatest death, the more that we see that and believe that and realize that the more that we can trust and believe that God actually has you, that he actually has me. But oftentimes we take the death of Christ for granted. And we wake up day after day just expecting that we deserve to be saved. But each morning when we plea for the steadfast love of God, when we plead for him to work, pray for the Lord to renew your love for Jesus and the love that Jesus had displayed for you. Our greatest deliverance, church, is not the deliverance from the hands of man here on this earth. Our greatest need and our greatest deliverance is the need to be delivered from sin and death. And we kind of see that portrayed a little bit here in verse 12. Right there, right in the middle, it says, And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. Church, do not sleep or do not underestimate the spiritual warfare that's happening in your life right now. Right now there is a lion there's a lion that is seeking and prowling around to destroy you. To destroy your soul to destroy your wife's soul, your kid's soul, your husband's soul, your neighbor's soul. There's an adversary out there waiting to destroy your soul. But through Christ, we can be delivered from that adversary, church. And that is a great hope for us this morning, where right now, although you may be in a season of sorrow, you know that the sins of your life and the chains of death can be broken free through the work of jesus christ because christ defeated the great adversary of our soul he defeated satan on the cross so do you see that as your greatest need this morning your need to be forgiven your need to be forgiven from your sins need for Christ. And in that, see the beauty of how God will keep you and hold you for the rest of your days until you're with him in glory. It's a beautiful truth for us, church. If God can break the chains of sin and death, he can break the sorrow chains of this world for you, church. The question I have for you is, are you going to endure in times of sorrow by pressing into the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for your word, for the truths of your word. Father, help us to see that you are all that we need. Help us to see that in times of sorrow, that you have already extended deliverance to us through your son. God, help us to see that in your faithfulness, we can have confidence. In your love, we can have comfort. Father, help us to see that you are a good God. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.